Hey, Barbara, just curious. Was there a class on collaboration in college? I can't remember that one. Curious Teams is a podcast for design, construction, and owner teams. Welcome to Curious Teams. I'm Fred Gutierrez. And I'm Barbara White Bryson. And we're here to make the design, construction, and owner environments a better place. And today we're, we're going to talk about collaboration skill sets. Yeah, we thought that maybe a great place to start making the industry a better place is to talk about how we can be better collaborators. You know, this is a day that we don't get in school, is it, Fred? No, I mean, even if you did get it in school, it changes in the environment you're in. I mean, today we're trying to collaborate for the first time on this, and it's it, it, I'm trying to re- remember some of the skills that I used to have. So, um, yeah, it's it doesn't come naturally. I think, I think you have to recognize when you do it and celebrate that, and then also recognize when you're not doing it and remind yourself to get back on the path. Yeah, they send us off in school and in, in architecture school, and they say, "Oh, go collaborate," and uh, they don't even talk about what that experience is likely to be like, let alone tell us what are the skills that are needed. Talk about team rules, roles, and core values. I know that you feel strongly about this one, Fred. I'm, I'm a pretty opinionated guy. So yeah, I do have some thoughts on this. I mean, the first <laughs> thing the first thing that, that, that I think is really important to think about is who, who actually the team is. And I think sometimes we can get a little too boxed into our either the company you're in or or the group that you're experienced with and and leave people out of your team. So if you're the architect, you're on the same team with the builder and the owner. Um, they're not adversaries. To be successful, you need to recognize them as team members. Whether they're at the table with you or not, they still need to be aligned in the skill set. You need to think of them and their success. It's not a I can win at the expense of others. It's it's the team winning. Yeah, that's a whole mindset change. And when you have this first conversation, it can really help you. And it's it, you, you define norms and consequences for not meeting those norms. Now, what do I mean by norms? Um, do you believe that showing up to meetings on time and not wasting other people's time is important? Do you believe in documenting meeting notes within 24 hours of a meeting so that everyone can be privy to the decisions that were made. How do you make corrections to meeting notes in a way that uh, feels safe and so that all voices are heard? There's all sorts of norms and consequences that can be talked about. When I was at the University of Arizona College of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape Architecture, I worked with Courtney Crossan, uh, who would uh, ask me to come in to teach skill sets to her students at the very beginning of the semester because she expected all of her students to work in teams. And so one of the things, well, several things were really important, but this very first skill, this talking about team rules, really helped students go through team experiences in a much smoother way because they decided how they were going to communicate with each other. They decided if they're going to text, if they're going to email, if they're going to call each other um, at different points at different milestones. They decided how they were going to make decisions. They decided not to talk behind each other's back. (laughs) They decided things like they were going to bring food to each meeting that they had. And all these things reduced the stress levels and increased their ability to communicate with one another. Barbara, what are your tricks for that? 
Well, one of the first things to do is be brave enough to start the conversation. I can't tell you how many teams that I have tried to start the conversation with, uh, and they've gone, oh, well, this is a waste of time. We need to get to business. But once you get that conversation going, and that often just means being willing to stand up uh, at the easel or the whiteboard and say, all right, what's important to you? What are habits that you do not want to see replicated on this team? You then suddenly... The conversation begins to flow. You know, uh, for instance, confidentiality. How can you make a team uh, meeting one where people feel really comfortable sharing ideas? Uh, sometimes confidentiality can help with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, making sure that every person in a meeting has at least said something so that you don't leave a meeting without everyone being heard on important subjects. Those kinds of things you can capture as part of your team rules. I remember when I was working at Rice University, we had teams for some very large projects that said, listen, if we're going to have 30 or 40 people in in some of these meetings, and there, there were because they were very collaborative, but they were very intense meetings, we can't have people showing up late can't do it. We're not going to waste the time of people who are arriving on time and to wait for other important participants to arrive. And so that was a norm. And uh, the consequence, and consequences are important, the consequence was that they had to sing a song if they showed up late. Oh, I would never uh, be late. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so there were a couple of hams that enjoyed singing yeah. the song. Or there were people, mostly... people calling me because they know they don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, on the most part, we had meetings starting right on time and everybody being there. And there were no exceptions. There were no, the owner, nobody was accepted from this rule, which was great. But consequences um, are a great way to make sure that your rules don't just get stuck up on a shelf and forgotten or stuck up on the wall and forgotten, that you are practicing them at every single meeting and throughout the project. Because I think you've seen, Fred, examples when either people forget the rules as you move through because the rules don't apply to them or rules need to be discussed on a regular basis and sometimes tweaked. Part of what I think a challenge for this startup of the, of, of establishing kind of the rules of engagement and the consequences is I think a lot of times this really is an owner's responsibility to say, I'm open to this. And if it's not something they bring up, I think it's on the on the leadership side of the builder and the architect to recognize that they need to understand this is an important part. And, you know, an example that I had of this is I did a project in Texas with, um, I'm in Boston, the owner was in New York, I was in, uh, the builder was in Texas, the project was in Texas. And we're actually getting a majority of the project from Vermont. And before we started, I told the owner I wanted to take everybody to a conference before we even signed the contract. And he said, okay, I think, I think that makes sense. Um, what's your goal? It's like, I want to just make sure everybody's aligned and uh, understands that you're willing to invest in, in team building. And so we did that. And that, that allowed us to recognize that it was important. The team dynamic was a very important part of the success of the project. So um, whether the, the owner offers it, I think you as professionals should 
recognize or, or bring it up to them because ultimately they're paying for it. And, and often you can share that cost too, if it's, and it should be, to just recognize how important and how, how much success can be driven out of this alignment. I like the consequences that you bring up because, you know, what it does do is it, it builds camaraderie. You know, these projects are, t- are tough. They're difficult. People are under a lot of stress. But humor and, and camaraderie and understanding people as human beings really goes a long way. Yeah. Because you are going to hit some very difficult situations. And you don't want to see your friends fail. So these people, you need, you do have to be friends with them. It can't, you can't pretend like, oh, I'm a professional and I can work with anybody. You're a professional and you should be friends with anybody. You should be open to that and ready to be their, you know, support system for when it's hard for them too. Oh, I like that. You and I in the past have talked about the second part of this skill set, which is to determine rules of engagement and cross boundary processes, which sounds complicated. What it means is recognizing that architects, engineers, contractors, project managers don't always talk the same language, don't always share the same perspective. And yet, when we make opportunities, to talk through what is the definition of success for each one of those professionals or what should we do when confronted with problems that we know will impact other professionals. When we talk through those, it creates real opportunities for alignment, real opportunities for for collaboration that will really work rather than just speaking the word. I'm collaborating with you. No, you're collaborating when you are respecting the other perspective, respecting the other needs of that other professional. And yes, it makes it a lot easier when you actually like that person and feel a camaraderie with that person. Yeah, and the, the, the big challenge in being open with understanding people's um Success, success matrix or whatever whatever can lead to their success is understanding what's going to come in the way of that success what what their what their kryptonite is so and it, <laughs> and, it, and it is it is being vulnerable and i think yeah it's hard for some people to to admit but i i think we talked about this before and i'll talk about it again is as builders this the builder side what's their kryptonite their kryptonite is is time they really need time and information to be able to be successful. Um, and it's it's why they become stereotyped in a certain way, you know, very regimented in um, getting things on time. And sometimes they'll push that. And because they're not getting it, they'll, they'll, they'll cry wolf. And because they're not getting things <laughs> that they need, they'll start asking them, asking for them before they're necessary. And it, it, it could be solved by understanding the constraints they have and having some sort of red light, green light, you know, uh, signal to say, you know, no, I really need this on Tuesday or, you know, I'm going to need this in three weeks. And, you know, I'll, I'll mention it a couple of times, but I'm, I'm really serious about that when, it, when I'm saying that. So and then on the architect side, it's it's they do need a lot of information to make their decisions and. The only one with that information, or is oftentimes, is the vendor or the builder or some person that's very far away from them and might speak a different language altogether. And it's creating that 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 urgency that that information will help 
facilitate the effectiveness of that architect and then vice versa, the effectiveness of the team. That language issue is is very, very real. Sometimes professionals blow it off a little bit. But I used to teach a class where I used to put uh, MBA students and architects mm-hmm. in the same classroom. And it was really fun. It was a class on innovation in the design and construction industry. We started day one with communication because these are two sets of professionals with two very, very different mindsets to very different perspectives. And we talked about vocabulary and the vocabulary of a business professional. Let's say that they like something. They like a building. I asked them to describe it and the word fancy came up and I went, oh my goodness, don't say the word fancy to an architect. They're going to shut down. Maybe replace it with the word elegant or thoughtful and you might have a better conversation. On the other hand, when architects use words like fenestration, other professionals shut down. And you you and I both know how bad speak can be. It can be really extensive. And But if architects were to make an effort to say, you know, this is what the window framing is going to look like. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is what the window pattern is going to look like. You're going to have attention, you're going to have understanding, which is what you really need for a conversation. So stepping back and being willing to have conversations across professional boundaries and setting up shared goals that allow for the fact that your definition of success isn't going to be the same in every single profession, uh, but everybody should be able to experience success on a project. I think that that is a good way of thinking about this early conversation. What if um, we moved to a second skill set? Second skill set on my list is define all goals and problems as a team. And the reason why I thought that this um, fit very, very nicely with our first skill set is that, again, when we're defining goals, especially goals for a project, Uh, And also when problems arise, we often aren't using the same language or the same perspectives. And so getting the team together and talking about these goals and problems, defining the problems are our first step towards solving those problems. I think you've enjoyed some dysfunctional uh, problem solving environments, haven't you, Fred? (laughs) Well, I think you, you might be referencing a project that I, would, I recently did that had, had good alignment, but the alignment shifted. And I think we talked about the possibility of, of goals and strategies shifting during a project, but not recognizing it as a team. So you know, an example that I brought up is um, I was managing a project as an owner's rep where we were aligned as a team initially to, to work on a, on, a, on a schedule-driven project. We had created a matrix of decisions of success, and the primary one was a schedule. And that meant that um, other things could move out of the way in order to, to maintain the schedule. At some point, the owner um, lost sight of that. And you know, like all good professionals along the team, they, you want to make the person happy. But you don't recognize that the ripple effect of changing that goal changes the way people see the, the success we found out in a hard way because it, you know we, we got to a certain point where 
we realized that the schedule was not going to happen. And, uh, and we recognized that the goal had shifted and everybody was okay with that. And once we had, we had to realign what the priorities were uh, now that the schedule wasn't the first, first thing on the list. So I think it's writing that thing down, writing down the goals, being clear about it, posting them, and also being conscious to reflect on them and say, is this still the right goal? And if it's not, let's redefine the goal and make sure that we can get there together. And what does it mean to redefine the goal? What are the consequences of that? I'm going to want to talk about this example again when we get to the skill set of bravely readjusting. Because, (laughs) as you know, projects are not static. They don't always go in a straight line. And, you know, what can happen will happen on our projects. And we need to know how to work together to adjust. And, And sometimes it's even the goals that change. Uh, I had one project uh, for USAA uh, in Tampa, Florida, where um, the owner, we had gone through, I think, 85% design. And the owner had, they had business goals that readjusted. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was many, many years ago, but they actually changed their business plan. And so we went back to the drawing board and started again. And the project turned out to be a great project. I think it served them very, very well. But, you know, those goals had to change. So projects sometimes can be very, very dynamic. If we can go and talk a little bit about problems on projects for a minute. So I've had uh, problems that have surfaced, percolated up, and then they never get resolved, seemingly, because nobody wants to actually define the problem, take the bull by the horn, be brave enough to say, here's all the information we need, let's let's solve this problem. So part of that is a decision-making issue. But also part of the problem is just the lack of willingness to define the problem. I, I was thinking I the exact same thing. It's like even recognizing the problem is there. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have these, uh, when, when this would happen, uh, on my projects, we would have what we call locked door sessions Mm -hmm. where we'd say, okay, enough is enough on this problem. Let's get all the key members of the team who this problem problem impacts in a room and conceptually the door is locked Mm -hmm. until the problem is solved. But the first thing until it's solved, until we have a solution. And uh, conceptually, we would uh, would do that. But the first thing we would do is we would define the problem. And it's amazing how the different professionals around the table all had a slightly different understanding of what the problem was. And even more uh, of an, a lack of understanding of what the facts around that problem were. So it's, it, the problem often would get very, very quickly resolved as soon as all that information was shared in an appropriate way. So defining a problem together collectively and sharing that information is really important. I remember a, a project where we had a paver problem on a project. And there were some members of the team that didn't know if it was a, a grouting problem, a um, substrate problem, a um, the size of the paver problem. Uh, and we got everybody in a room and, and it was a complex problem. It was actually several variables that were causing the problem. Um, but nobody actually had the definition of the problem, um, correct walking into the room, but coming out of the room, we had a plan of action that fit 
the full scope of the problem. I think a, another layer to this defining the problem is is recognizing that there is a problem. And I think for some people, a, pro a problem is quite evident. And for others, it may not even <laughs> be recognized as a problem. So a lot of times what we'll do on projects is we'll do a, a rolling punch list. So you know the builder's responsible for the punch list and they're gonna put it together, but they're gonna just see their own problems. You know, the problems that they know how to fix and the problems that are just somewhat open. But if you can publish that before it's, it's crisis time and while you can still actually affect the outcome, you can, you, you as, you know, the other, the, the team can say, oh, maybe that's not a problem. Let's not worry about that. But have you thought about this? I think this is a problem. And then that conversation starts like, oh, I didn't recognize that the, 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 the windows needed to line up with the, uh, with the millwork. I, I didn't realize that was a problem, but it is. So it's, it's recognizing that and that, that can happen, um, you know, on the, on the builders, uh, on the builder side to um publishing what what you're what you what you're expecting um from from your from your peers and professionals just so that they know oh that is something i'm working on uh, and it could be as easy as as having a list but knowing knowing that th issues are out there to be solved at a certain point or is a really good tool to align that problem solving and to get everybody on the same page about what what a problem really is what is it's a bad word, but it's just a tool. Yeah, it, it is. But what's at the core of this is finding ways to amp up communication, to amp up understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And so the more that we understand about each other's challenges and goals and uh, approaches to, to uh, the design of the project, the more likely we are to come through the entire project in a more successful manner. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it problems, perceived problems and actual problems can exist in schedule, can exist in budget, can ex exist in design, scope, logistics, all sorts of areas. And you're right. We all, depending upon where we're standing, might have a different appreciation for that problem and being willing to talk about it and to listen. If you're not in a position of appreciating that it's a problem, uh, is, is so incredibly important. So how have we done on our first two skills today? Do you I, think we've I've covered I've enjoyed it? the conversation. I am tempted to go back to the first one and talk a little bit about agendas. Did we did we really cover agendas too much? We didn't. It was on it was on my notes, uh, but I think okay. it's a good thing for both of these two skill sets to um, cover agendas. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned a thirty person meeting, and for me, I just like I I. I I started to shiver thinking, oh my God, this is not <laughs> going to be a useful meeting. I don't know how to run a 30 person meeting, but I think there's a bigger version to meetings these days because they can be poorly run, but I don't think that should be a reason not to have meetings. I think, I think they need to be figured out so that they're efficient. Um, but the reason to run meetings is to have people's attention towards the project. And I, I feel in today's world, everybody's running multiple projects concurrently. Um, even even the, the project managers are often running 
There's they're they're closing out one and they're opening out one and they're running one. So attention at the right time is really important. And to have the the group's attention at the same time is really important, even if it's just in essence to realize that we're a team and we share the same desires to make this a successful project. So I think regular meetings, even though people are there's a there's a tendency for people to say meetings aren't necessary. I think I think a core meeting, if you if you don't have a big problem to solve, you you have something to celebrate. And I think that celebration is as important, if not more important, than uh, than than uh, canceling a meeting. So, what are your thoughts on uh, on ba- the ba- what is the core agenda for a meeting? A core agenda for a meeting problems? is a yeah. is really needs to be about getting moving the project ahead, um, getting decisions made, uh, and making sure that key information is shared uh, in a timely manner. Most importantly is to check in on budget and schedule as well as scope and quality accurately at every single one of those meetings. And if you're not on course, to correct course quickly. So that meeting becomes meaningful to every stakeholder that's participating. And a great agenda is one that goes out at least a couple of three days ahead of time and says exactly what decisions are going to be made in that meeting. And hopefully also includes information that can help people who are going to participate in that meeting to uh, make that decision, be ready to make that decision. But we're going to get into that a lot more when we take on decision-making in future episodes. All right, I'm looking forward to that because I think we may not completely align on the agenda part. I think, or we might uh-huh. be talking about different meetings. Um, I think I think there's there's really good collaboration software and strategies to solve some of these things in more of a real time. I think the challenge of setting an agenda for a meeting that might be every other week or um, even once a week might slow down some of this decision making. So I think there's there's ways to identify decisions that can can be streamlined outside of the meeting. And I still stand beside that the meeting is a chance for people to air things that they don't think other people are concerned about and kind of bring up larger, big picture topics. I think those those meetings are realigning the, the over, overall goals, even though it may seem not worth talking about. I don't disagree. I don't disagree on, okay. on any of those subjects. And when we okay. get to decision-making, I think we're going to find that we agree on much more than we disagree about. But there are always decisions that require, yeah. you know, the big boss in the room. Do you know what I mean? And uh, Yeah, and that, this might be just where we're, we're a little s- separated because my meetings are a little smaller than the ones that you've, you've sat in. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we have a different focus, you know, and, you know, yeah. commercial projects and residential projects. We've, we've talked about this. We want these episodes to be able to be heard by both the commercial and the residential industries and, yeah. and be helpful, but with still recognizing the fact that there are some differences. I remember when we started, I wanted to talk a little about leadership. Does that have a point? Does that have a place in this first two points, or does that want something we just want to talk about later? I think leadership. You know, my mantra is that leadership, collaboration, and decision making all have to come and be uh, 
have to be present, have to be strongly cultivated, and have to be supported by values in order to uh, really be to provide predictable outcomes, really successful projects. I think that the best projects are present when all three of those elements occur. Um, but I would, I really would think that we should spend some dedicated episodes to leadership. There's, it's such a deep and broad subject. Mm. Yeah, it, it is. I think, I think a good, a good collaborator is one that understands that they're, they share that podium of leadership with everybody on the team. And there's times when they need to be a good follower and there's times when they need to be a, a, a generous leader. I think this gets into our hero conversation at some point, but that might be another time. Well, it goes into this first um, skill set, which is understanding everyone's roles uh, yeah. and also understanding that, you know, roles can can be fluid within a team environment and should be fluid within a team environment to some extent. But also we're, when we get down to number 10, which will be an interesting conversation, it's about how you take responsibility for the success and the failure sometimes mm. of your teams. I've been there. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap it up and say nice. goodbye. And that we will talk about two more of our collaborative skills, at least two more next time. I look forward to it. Do you have a sneak peek on what those two might be? Next time we'll be able to talk about uh, communicate effectively and transparently and also, as you mentioned before, don't be a hero. Yeah, that's the don't be a hero. I want to talk about that because I've got hero tendencies that I have to fight all the time. So thank you so much for joining us at Curious Teams. This is Barbara White Bryson. And this is Fred Gutierrez. And now you go make the design, construction, and owner environment a better place. Find us at CuriousTeams.com, where we hope you share your comments and ideas. We look forward to hearing from you.